that when a Jew, especially in Paul's day, accepts Christ as their Savior, it would be nearly impossible to expect them to just abandon all of their Old Testament customs. And you can certainly understand, or at least I'd like you to this afternoon, how an unsaved Jew, he can open up his Old Testament and he can find some physical promises given to those people that belong to the seed of Abraham. And you know what he finds when he opens up the Old Testament? He finds a promise of a kingdom, a Jew. He doesn't find a promise of a New Testament church. So we need to put ourselves in that place as we approach these chapters. Look at Daniel chapter 2, if you would. Daniel 2. We'll get verse 44, Daniel 2, Daniel 2, verse 44. The Bible says, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. We don't see any mention of a church being set up. The Old Testament is all they had to go to, which shall never be destroyed. That Jew is looking for a kingdom that's not going to be ruined. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. They said, man, that's our kingdom. God promised he'd give us that. It's going to be everlasting. No one's going to break it to pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. Man, this to a, to a Jew in Paul's day, this is a confusing thing. What do you mean Christ is setting up a church? What does that mean? I'm looking for a kingdom. Daniel 7. Daniel 7, verse 14. The Bible says in Daniel 7, verse 14, And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall, that which shall not be destroyed. Same idea. It's an everlasting dominion. So you're in Paul's day. All you've got is the Old Testament. There's this message of the cross now that's being preached. You can see how the rub is going to come about. The Jewish people were promised by God a kingdom to be set up by their Messiah where they, as a national people, would rule over all of the other nations. Now you're telling me that faith puts me in a body of believers? That's where we're at, and that's what Paul's dealing with. And not only that, but you're putting me in a body of believers where I'm not promised a good life down here. I'm not promised a kingdom down here. Matter of fact, you're telling me by faith, I get to be put in the body of believers and then I get to be treated exactly like our Messiah as Savior was treated when he was here on earth. 
So let me get this straight. This everlasting kingdom where our nation will have dominion over all other nations. I have a savior as a king. And now you're telling me I'm going to have a savior that's my head of a church. And I'm going to be treated as harshly as his been treated. The world hated him. It's going to hate me. Now that's a lot to swallow. It isn't for us because we have a full canon of scripture. We can look back and in hindsight, we have a more sure word of prophecy. We can learn all of these things. Go to Genesis chapter number 17. This is another thing that really is going to throw Jews for a loop and still does today. Genesis chapter number 17. You have a group of people that were promised a worldwide king. And those that were given the national mark of circumcision would get that king. Look at Genesis chapter 17. In verse number 13. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. Now, if you're out of the line of Abraham, you have to be circumcised. No male is required by God to have circumcision. Now, if you do it or don't do it, you're not sinning or not sinning. You just, just Every family makes that choice. But you were a nation of Israel. That choice is already made for you. You're getting circumcised. Uh, is that, uh, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. If you don't have your son circumcised, Nowadays, you're not broken off from God's covenant. You didn't sin against God. But for a Jew, under Old Testament law, you were sinning against God. You weren't obeying. And God said unto Abraham, as for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her. Okay, so it goes on. But we get the idea that you broke the covenant. In other words, this mark was supposed to be forever for those people. Okay, Lord. So I went through all that. That hurt. And I put my son through all that. All that physical. I go through all that. And now you're telling me by faith. Someone can be placed into a church. You can see how that's offensive to a Jew. Wait, they don't have to do that. To keep a right relationship. With God. And on top of that, now a Jew has to accept the fact that this message isn't a special message for your nation. This is a message that goes to every nation, every kindred, every tongue, every individual. That's the message which, which we preach. And so God is now asking them to accept the fact believe the fact that he doesn't view any nation right now as special. Israel's been set aside. He is now looking at individuals and they're asked to accept that. And Paul is going to have to answer these objections concerning all the things that were going over. And he's going to have to explain to them why God is not unrighteous 
for doing what he is doing. He has a plan for both. He is not unfaithful. He is not unrighteous. Why is God gathering an elect group of individuals that are members of a church? Why has God put aside an elect nation? And we learn all about that in Romans 9, 10, 11. God will return to Israel. And one thing that Paul was careful to not do, and one thing I would ask us to be careful to not do, is to blend, put the church in Israel in a blender and blend them together and make the church Israel part two. It's not. They are two separate entities. Paul never was into replacement theology. Never. And I'll show you that in Acts 15. Let's go there. The matter is settled in Acts 15. Everybody wants to get Acts 1 and 2 down, which, okay, you do. I'm not saying you don't. But Acts 15, a vitally important chapter as well. Look at verse number 1. Acts 15, verse number 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. After all we just said, can you understand why this is being brought up? Yeah. Wait, so I'm saved, but I have to keep it by getting circumcised. That's what he's saying. What is happening in Acts chapter 15, verse 1 is they're trying to blend Israel with the church. And it's answered. Look at verse number 5. There rose, but there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to teach that the church is Israel, part two. After all we just went over, you can understand why they're saying that. Well, okay, I know you were saved. But look, we still got to get circumcised. We still have to keep the law of Moses. They're trying to blend Israel into the church. It's been going on since the book of Acts. It's still going on today. People are into replacement theology, trying to blend Israel's promises with the church's promises. Look at verse, by the time we get down to verse number 10. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke Upon the neck of the disciples, which that's what you would be doing if you try to tell them to follow the commands of Moses and circumcise, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. In other words, if you got saved and you had to do some things to keep it, nobody kept it. It's, folks, it's answered in verse 10. Our fathers couldn't even bear it. I believe you get saved, but after that, you know, you got to be able to keep it. Nobody can keep it. Everybody would lose it. Look at verse 17. Watch. Uh, okay, no, I'm sorry. Go back to verse 15. Watch this now. Because this it, it shifts now in verse 15. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. Now watch this. After this, I will return. 
he's not just disregarding this concern of circumcision and this Israel idea. He addresses it and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. That's why we started in Daniel 2. That's why we looked at Daniel 7. Because that's what this is. We're getting into the millennial kingdom now. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Now watch this great verse. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. You know what God knows from the beginning of the world? All of his works concerning his earthly people, Israel, and the earthly promises that he promised to Israel. And God also knows all of his spiritual people and all of the promises that he made to his spiritual people. That's why it finishes out with all of his works are known unto him. Romans 3 and Romans 9. Romans 3 and Romans 9. Verse 2, we looked at bit this morning, much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. That's the Jews. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? No, the church is not going to replace any part of the promises God made to that nation. And Israel's unbelief will not make the word of God without effect. It won't happen. But also the world as a whole will not be converted until that nation is converted. This is why we're going after individual souls during this church age plan. And during the millennial kingdom, you will have, by and large, a worldwide conversion. And we're not going to get into all that. There's some rapid trails to run and some issues to cover. That's not the topic of this afternoon. The church has absolutely no promise. Us as New Testament Christians in the body of Christ. We have absolutely no promise at all of worldwide conversion. We don't have that promise. Israel has. Israel has that promise. We have a promise to go and be a witness for souls, individuals. Okay, now, Romans 9. Bible says, it starts off very odd. Because Paul is kind of apologizing by insisting to the readers, I'm not lying. <laughs> now, you got to admit, if you were in a conversation with, with that, with somebody, your first thought would be, wait a minute. If this guy's honest, why is he telling me he's not going to lie to me? But let's read it. I say the truth in Christ. Comma, I lie not. Like, why does he have to say I lie not? He says, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. 
For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He's saying, look, I'm not being prejudiced. I don't have religious zeal. You know I had it before. I persecuted the church. Look, it's me, Paul, Saul of Tarsus. I was standing over the stoning of Stephen. You know I had religious zeal. I'm not lying to y'all now. He's approaching them the most gentle manner that he can. Because the situation at hand is so tragic. And it's a very abrupt change. Remember we came off of this high on Romans chapter 8. We have no condemnation. We have no separation. But now Paul's heart goes to this other extreme. It's the failure of his own country. You can't get to a bigger uh, climactic high than going from Romans 1 to Romans 8. I mean, Romans 8, it doesn't get any better for the Christian. I'm not going to be separated from God's love. And then it's this abrupt change because of the tragic situation of his own kinsmen. And Paul's heart grieved over this. Paul, as a, as a Jew, he gives the gospel to the Gentile or any heathen, someone that's not a Jew. Do you say, see how the Jews can look upon him as the enemy of their own nation? Very simply, they could. You know, and you don't have to turn there, but in Romans 15, Paul is supposed to go from Rome and he's supposed to go to Spain. Romans 11 tells us as an apostle to the Gentiles. That's what Paul's supposed to do. You know where he goes instead? Jerusalem. I want, I want to look at this because this is important. His heart is so connected to his countrymen. Go to Acts chapter 21. Acts 21. Watch what Paul was told by some of the disciples. Acts 21, verse number 5. Uh, we'll start at verse 4. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul, through the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. And they all brought us our way. We five children, we were out of the city, we kneel and pray. And guess where Paul is going to end up going? Jerusalem. Guess where they told Paul not to go? Jerusalem. Look at verse 10. Paul has sent a prophet. And this prophet tells Paul the same thing. Uh, verse number 10. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And he was coming to us. He took Paul's girdle. Bound his own hands and feet and said, I mean, you can't get a better word picture than that, Sunday school teachers. Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. 
the disciples told him, a prophet is sent to Paul, say, hey, look, don't go to Jerusalem. Look at verse 13. Uh, yeah, verse 13. Then Paul answered. Now, it can't be any clearer what God's will is for Paul. And watch Paul's answer. What mean ye to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. You know what Paul's excuse was? Fellas, come on, I'm doing this for the Lord. <laughs> the disciples told you through the Holy Spirit, and I sent a prophet to you through the same Holy Spirit, and you have your own way of doing it. Well, that's the disciples. That's some prophets. Go to Acts 22. Acts 22. Verse number 18. Paul's praying. Uh, it says in verse 17, And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. So this is, he's praying, he's in a temple, he's in a trance. And saw him saying unto me, Watch with the Lord. This is this is the Lord speaking directly to him. Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. You know what the Lord told him? I don't care what your excuse for going, Paul. I want you out of Jerusalem. Why do I think he went? To the Romans 9. He loved those people so much. His heart broke over his kinsmen so much. And he had a plan and he had a burden and he had an idea. God had a different idea. He sent him disciples, he sent him a prophet, and he spoke to him in a trance. Paul said, look, I got to do it my way. Well, what I'm saying to you and I, as a way of practical application, just because you have a burden, just because I have a burden, that does not mean we have a calling from God. And that's a perfect example right here. Jonah was called to arise and go to Nineveh. Jonah had a clear calling. You know what Jonah didn't have? A clear burden. Oh, I'll arise, oh Lord. I'll obey the first part. I'm getting away from you and going to Tarshish. <laughs> He had a burden to go a different way. So do you go with your burden or do you go with the clear calling of God? You're going to end up in storms. You're going to happen. You're going to end up. twenty-two Acts 22. Look at verse number 19. And the Lord, and I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believe on me. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the remnant of them that slew him. You know why he's arguing with the Lord? Because his burden and what he wants to do is so important. 
And if you have a burden deep enough, you will spiritualize it. You will argue with the Lord. Am I the only one that's done this? I mean, can I get a witness in here? We will. Paul had a burden. God didn't call him to go there. You get out of Jerusalem. Get out of there. I sent you the disciples. I sent you Agabus. I sent you the prophet. Come on. Roman church knew. These Romans, they knew the exclusivity of the Jews. They could easily be persuaded that Paul was an apostate, not an apostle. Paul's got to defend this. Heart breaks if he paints a picture of Israel's shame. Go back to Romans 9. Finish. like you to get one more passage of scripture we'll get these two points and we'll finish in these two chapters exodus 32 exodus 32 and romans 9 exodus 32 romans 9 I say the truth, Romans 9, verse 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. The unsaved man has a defiled conscience. You and I had that before we were saved, Titus 1. We learned in 1 Timothy that the false teacher has a seared conscience. We all have a conscience. Before we were saved, it was defiled and seared. Saved people are told they have a good conscience. Uh, we are told that always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Both are involved in the Christian conscience. When you get saved, now you have a conscience that has some life in it. Why? Because of this verse. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. You, have a, you get saved, now you have a Holy Spirit that bears witness to your conscience and they work in harmony. You double down on that conscience. Romans 9, verse 2, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. This is coming from the same Paul who said, rejoice evermore. You think about that? What is it? I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Paul, I thought you also wrote as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. You got to admit, this is not verse. You know what I believe the Holy Spirit's trying to teach us? You can have both at the same time. He's not like sorrow down in the dumps, depressed type sorrow. His heart so pleads for his countrymen that he can't help but be sorrowful over it. Psalms 126.5 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. That's a good verse. 
Uh, then it says in verse number three, for I wit, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Moses had that same spirit. I wish I could have this spirit. I tend to appreciate people that appreciate me. I don't think I'm too far off in saying you probably tend to appreciate people that appreciate you. Why don't you like this place? Why don't you? Why don't you like your this job? Why don't you like this uh, this vacation spot? I don't know. I just don't feel appreciated by people. There's a difference, you know, you go into a hotel lobby and you get people that are just miserable behind the desk. And then you get some that you feel like, oh, I didn't know I was that important. Oh, thanks for, <laughs> you must be easy to please. Yeah, I'm here. I mean, it makes you feel better. It makes you feel different, doesn't it? Then somebody behind the counter, they're on their phone and talking to you and say, ah, hold on, when you, uh, you, you can wait. You just, you tend to appreciate people, appreciate you more. Man, Paul and Moses weren't like that. Look what it says about Moses in Exodus 32. It's nice to have a boss that appreciates the hard work you put into a job. Not everybody's blessed to be able to have that. Exodus 32, verse 31. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin that have made them gods of gold. And they're making golden calves. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin. Wait, what? I mean, are you going to God like that? Come on, God, smote them dead. Go get them. And if not, well, help us. And if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. I'm not praying that prayer. I'm sorry. I am not there. Moses loved people. He loved people. He loved his people. Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place of which I had spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. The Lord plagued the people because they made the calf. Aaron I don't think that we can fully under, I can't fully understand Moses' heart and his love for his people. And I don't think we can fully understand Romans chapter 9, Paul's prayer to be a curse from God. Wait a minute, Paul. You want to suffer? You want to be alienated from your God? You know why this is so significant? Because Romans chapter 8 ended with, you cannot be separated from the love of Christ. And it said, if I could, it's the original Make-A-Wish Foundation. If I could, if I could have a wish. But you know what? He couldn't have that wish. He couldn't. There'd be nothing that would separate him from the love of Christ. Nonetheless, his heart is there. It's the greater love for your neighbor. 
and this yearning for their deliverance, for their salvation, it is what made him a great preacher. Do you want to be a great Christian? I do. Let's get this lesson from Paul and from Moses. We've got to love Be a Moses. Be a Paul. They're following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a given life. I could wish. I could wish. Paul said, if I could, I'd accept being banished by God. Now, I will admit to you, I don't know how you can hold that type of thought dear to your heart. I don't know how Moses could pray. To I don't know how Paul could pray. To I don't want to. If I had the opportunity to pray this prayer and have it be answered as a yes, I'm not so sure I can tell you this afternoon I'd be praying. Would you? But I know the direction I want to move toward, this direction. I know I want to lean toward that. I know I want to be persuaded to be more like a Moses and more like a Paul. But I'll be honest with you. You do public ministry for a decade, a decade and a half, going on two decades. I can understand why there's a lot of miserable, mean, bitter, spirited preachers. I'm just sick of the Tom Fulgery. They're sick of the blasphemy. They're sick of the way that people thumb their nose at God. Was it Moses? Never been like this. They're making a golden child. I want to be more like a Paul. Let's try to do that.